All right, we're back for episode two of the Tommy Parker. I, I feel like it's only only right if you start us off with the, the smooth jazz, whatever you were doing. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is Tommy Parker with smooth jazz. <laughs> Honestly, us coming back with episode two, have you ever seen Joe Dirt? Oh, yeah. <laughs> we're back Dirt here with day. Joe Dirt Day. <laughs> oh, that's a great show. It's a good show. I mean, it's, I mean, it depends on what your taste is, but yeah. I, it's hilarious. I mean, it's a Don't 90s movie. Don't try to church it up, Joe. <laughs> yeah, it's Joe Dirt. Yeah, it's a 90s <laughs> movie to the T. Like, if, if you're easily offended, don't watch that. Oh, for sure. Okay. So, where we left off, you said nine. I, I went to nine treatment centers total is, is where we left off. Um, but that was that was kind of broad stroke and fast, fast forwarding. Um, when I came back from Louisiana's treatment center, um, the next thing that happened was uh, I had to be held accountable. I'd, I'd been playing a game for a long time, and eventually you gotta, you know, you gotta pay for the meal, as I uh, later would call it. So I had to go to court. I went to court um, February of uh, 2018. So yeah, I think so. Anyway, um, and uh, I pleaded guilty to my charge of possession of heroin, um, and I got a three-year Department of Corrections sentence, and. Um, I got I got locked up and I got sent right back to the, the cell that like I had been put in when I initially got charged, and um, this is where your friend pulled you out yep, and yep. put you in the shower. Same same yep. cell. Same cell. Yep. And uh, the sentence was for three years. For three years, and so I I had no idea what was really going to happen. I didn't think I was going to sit in that cell for three years, um, but uh, once again I was coming down from like I showed up to court high like I was coming down and everything and it was horrible and then finally they moved me and um <laughs> I've never been happier in my life to go to a jail <laughs> as I was from when they moved me from Lake County to Missoula County so Lake County kept me in the isolation cell uh to use their words they said um for the safety of myself and others they felt that me being disabled like I could be beat up or whatever um and that uh my wheelchair could be dismantled to some degree to make weapons so instead they like as what they believed and so instead they kept me in an isolation cell um, but then when I went to Missoula County, they didn't have the same belief at all. They didn't like they immediately put me in general population in a classification cell, um, which uh, is kind of funny. So when I got to the classification cells in Missoula, um, you're set up on a tiered block, and it uh, um, or something that other people might be familiar with is like a gang block and so they'll have the top of the uh the block and the bottom of the block meaning so there's six cells on the bottom there's six cells on the top but they're open at different times so the top will be out for two hours and then they'll be locked down and then the bottom will be out and and that's how you'll go through the day and a bunch of people complained about that they're like i hate this we only get two hours out like i had just come from a jail where i never left my cell mm -hmm. i was like it wasn't a 23 and it was a 24 hour lockdown i stayed in that little box um and so any kind of freedom and then they had some tv going on in there like we're talking i feel like i was at the ritz carlton like this is great <laughs> um the food was better everything was awesome like i was content um and uh i also once again had no idea um how long i was going to be there i didn't know exactly like what was going to go on like i went through classification and then i got put into um 
uh, the block that I was supposed to be in. And then uh, I ended up getting a job in the uh, laundry room. And so uh, every day at one o'clock, I would go to laundry. I'd go wash laundry from one to seven um, or one to five. And then uh, like go back to my cell. And um, and then, yeah, like uh, to give everybody a, a a regular or a breakdown of what my day looked like during that part of my lockdown. Um, I would wake up uh, at when breakfast came out and I would go eat breakfast. Um, and that was at like five in the morning. And then I would go or six in the morning. Then I would go back to sleep until lunch. And then I would wake up for lunch. And uh, I would usually give my lunch away to somebody because I was immediately going to go like the, the kitchen and the, the uh, laundry room are connected. And so uh, being in a, a kitchen employee, you could eat whatever you wanted was that was in the kitchen. And so I would just give my lunch away and then go make what I wanted when I got to the kitchen. So I didn't have to eat the the food. And then um, the kitchen was great. Like we had radios listening to music like it was it was fun. We made 25 cents an hour. Hmm. Um, but it was it was cool. I made like a dollar twenty five a day. And, um, and then I would go back and, uh, um, I'd work out when I got back to the, the block, um, take a shower. And then like when I got locked down, I would read from like 11 PM when or we got locked down at 11 or 1130. I can't remember. And I'd, I'd read until like three or four in the morning. And then I'd go to sleep. Um, because for some reason sitting, reading a book when it was like nighttime and, and dark and everything in there, like, uh, was, was way easier than reading a book in the daytime. I don't know what it was about it. Um, it just, it was more enjoyable. And then like sleeping through the day made it seem like time was moving quicker. Like there was a a bunch of dudes that would get up in the morning or even before, like I had my job at the, the, um, laundry room. Like I'd get up in the morning, eat breakfast, go back to sleep, get up um and eat lunch and then stay awake usually or maybe go back to sleep until three and then get up and work out and then eat dinner and then like and then play card games and stuff like um and so uh um it made it it easier when you have a schedule and you have autonomy within like the constraint if you will um there's a book that talks about um the prisoners of war that did the best were the ones that controlled what they could and didn't care about what they couldn't Hmm. like um they would be fed and some of them would just sit there and have the food sit in front of them and not eat it like like, i mean eventually they would but like i'm gonna eat it when i want to or to to feel like you have some feel like i have yeah i have autonomy i don't have to eat that food yeah and so um and i didn't like i wasn't defiant like that in jail i just um i understood what i could control and i expanded my my boundaries to as big as they could be while being in contained Hmm. um and so, yeah, I spent, uh, I don't know how long I spent there. And then I got moved to a, a department of corrections drug treatment program where I spent two months there. Um, probably one of the most interesting drug treatments I've ever been to. Um, first of all, it was, uh, entirely, uh, privatized and profitized. So it's owned by a family that the state pays for people to be there. Um, and so they're making money for every inmate there, but what the, what I found interesting about the treatment is they said the only way for you to change is for you to hate yourself. Um, and I don't agree with that. I don't think that anybody should ever hate themselves because that's not an effective like change. Like you should change because you want to, because you see a need to grow. And, and I'll get into why I changed later in the story. Um, but, but trying to tell me that, Hey, you need to be different. You need to hate who you were. And, and they told us like, we needed to tell our, um, we had to have like this criminal timeline where we told our story of our charge and how we got there or, and stuff like that. 
and um, they wanted us to like be real about it, but not brag about it. Like it was this weird gray area of like, hey, you, I need you to tell the crime you did, but you can't be boastful of the crime you did, or you can't uh, downplay the crime. Like it was like we were constantly being corrected. And I do have to say, some of the funniest stuff I saw with inmates was in there because. Uh, the counselors that are in there, they have your chart and have like your discovery. So everything in with your crime is written on this piece of paper. And so dudes would say stuff um, and they would be like, uh, now tell them, now tell them about uh, this. And they're like, what? Like, and they're trying to leave things out or like um, the, the wildest one I saw was this, uh, this kid named Charles. Um, he gets all the way through his thing. And then the counselor's like, Oh, you're going to leave out that you told on everybody you did the crime with. (laughs) And and he's like, "Uh, uh, uh, uh." Mm. and yeah, like, and it was just, it was interesting. I don't think that the way that they ran this stuff, uh, is at all functional. And I honestly think that probably the, the best place for drug treatment anywhere in the nation is here in, 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 uh, Denver, Colorado. If you guys are unfamiliar with the other side Academy or Tosa, Please, please, if you know somebody's struggling, take the time and look into them. Dave DeRocher runs an incredible program affecting real change, um, and and he's there if you need him. Um, but the we've tre- had we've had quite a few members of Tosa on the podcast. They're great people. It's amazing. Man. Yeah. But in fact, uh, Dave's going to be a a guest also. So anyway, I dig Dave. He's a, he's an incredible human being. Um. But no, the the places. But I this went, is your last rehab. No, so, this is this is me being incarcerated. Is what I'm talking about right now. But they, um, but there's some kind of a drug rehab. Yeah, so so I'm I'm in the incarceration, incarceration. Okay. and this isn't my last rehab. Okay. Um, I get released from this one. Um, and I go to two more. Um, so I get released from this one, and uh, I got released September 16th from that. Uh, and I remember specifically it was the 16th because I turned uh, my birthday was the 18th. And so I got released the 16th. My mom, my two little sisters, they came and got me. They drove me back to Missoula um, and uh, um, they got me a car. We're trying to get me set up. I went and saw a probation and parole. And my PO, uh, she's like, hey, I, I, it's a pleasure to meet you. But like, um, uh, like, I'm going to be out of the office for two weeks. I'll schedule an appointment two weeks down the road. Um, okay, cool. And that, I met with her on the 17th. I relapsed the 18th. Wow. Um for my birthday, I thought that it would, you know, be a good thing. Like, why don't we celebrate? Let's let's go get high. Um, and so I did. I went I went and got high. Um, but something else uh, very profound, I, I don't know if profound is the right word, happened that day. Um, while I was in Missoula uh, going to get drugs, I ran into Dara. Um, for those of you that are listening, Dara is my now wife. Um, I grew up with her. And I, I ran into her at Town Pump, a gas station in Montana. And um, my whole life, she's always looked like angelic or divine to me, like just a breathtaking beauty with an intelligence to match. And um, there she was, standing outside of the, the right, right by the hood of my uh, Durango. She wasn't looking in the car, didn't see me, but I saw her. And I hollered at her, and she came over and talked to me. And she had just had some changes in her life and everything. And, um, uh, I thought that I had was being supportive of of the changes. Uh, I guess I'll be blunt. She had just had a divorce, and I tried to tell her that. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that, but uh, from her words, I looked like um, a hungry wolf looking at a sheep when I told her I was sorry to hear that she got divorced. <laughs> um, and uh, and I invited her for coffee, which uh, is 
funny because I hate coffee. It is a disgusting, bitter little bean. <laughs> I don't like it. But the opportunity to be able to spend more time in the proximity sure. of her was, was what I really wanted. And she like so kindly, yes, yes, like, let's do that. And then ignored me. She never like set a time, wouldn't meet with me or anything. And talking to her later, she said that she could tell something was wrong or off, but she wasn't sure what it was. Um, it was because I was high on meth. Like that's what was wrong. Uh, but so her and I kind of, I tried to talk. I kept like, so shortly after that, um, I metaphorically put my foot in my mouth with her, uh, twice, but this was the first one. Um, she was in Paris and, uh, um, it was like three or four in the morning and I was awake because meth, you know? Um, and, uh, she was awake because Paris has a different time zone. And I was like, <laughs> yeah. I was like, what are you doing awake? And she's like, oh, I'm in Paris. She's like, why are you awake? Are Isn't you it awake? like four in the morning yeah. in Montana? And I was just didn't respond. Um, but, uh, so I, I kept trying to reach out to her and reach out to her and she just wasn't having it. And then, uh, I got a, um, during this time, my probation officer was building a revi- a probation revocation case against me. So um, anything that I did wrong that was against the rules of probation, she would throw me in jail for and then do a write-up on. Um, and uh, so I was going to like going to jail every two weeks for like two weeks in this period. Like it was just repetitious, um, and I hated it. It was horrible. Um, and then I got released from the shortest time I'd ever been outside of a cell. Um, and it's almost comical, but embarrassing at the same time. I got released from jail like December 6th or December 7th. It was, it was a Friday morning. Um, and the block I was in, the dudes were all laughing. Like they're like, ah, we'll see you Monday, Tommy. Cause I just kept coming and going, you know? Um, I came back Sunday morning. Wow. Yeah. Um, like, I uh, I was on house arrest. They put a, an a, an ankle bracelet around my wrist, um, so like they could track where I was going. I was on house arrest in a hotel, um, like at a hotel room, and that was where I lived. And like, um, they raided my hotel room. I got uh, they they thought that I had drugs and stuff, and they're like, these guys tore my ho-. like they lifted the the tile in the ceiling to see if there were drugs in the ceiling, and I was like, like. You guys can't see me that are listening to this, but I'm all of four foot two sitting down. Like I was like, they're not, they're, they broke the dressers and like, they're trying uh-huh. to find stuff. They didn't find anything. There was nothing in my hotel room. I don't know why they raided the hotel room. Mm-hmm. Um, other than the fact that, uh, my probation officer claimed that I was tampering with my, um, your monitoring your, system. Uh-huh. Uh, side note, um, it, I had fallen and the, the band had stretched and so, um, like when they went to arrest me, they're like, Hey, put the, put your coat on. It's warm outside. And so instead of just like thinking like, and I was high, I have to add, I was high. Um, instead of thinking like, Oh, draped a coat over me. I took the ankle monitor bracelet off of my hand while the sheriff's looking at me. And he was like, what are you doing? What? And I was like, Oh yeah, that, uh, <laughs> oops. <laughs> and so like when, I, when my PO came and saw me, she's like, so that I'm just supposed to believe that that stretched out. And I was like, it did. Like I was trying to, <laughs> like I slipped earlier. I caught the edge of it, uh-huh. and it and it like pulled really hard. And yeah, like, and she's like, uh-huh. Right. And so like there was no way to prove one way or the other. Um, but so she claimed that I was tampering with my thing. I got thrown back in jail. And then when I was in jail this last time, she, uh, she was like, or when I was in jail this time, she said, I'm going to try to send you to treatment. She's like, 
um, I think that, that that's going to be beneficial. That'll help. Uh, like, and I was like, yeah, let's do that. Like, can I go to this treatment center? Like I even requested one. Um, and she was like, okay, I went to a VA treatment center. Um, and I wanted to go to that one specifically. Um, and I'm not trying to downplay the VA treatment. Some of them are good. Uh, this one was okay. I'd been to this one four times already. Um, like I had a punch card pretty much. Um, and, uh, but I wanted to go there so I could have nicotine and my cell phone. Those, like, those are the two things you're allowed to have. Uh, the VA has since overturned that and you can't have nicotine on or tobacco on uh, site and stuff like that. But, um, and, uh, what getting my cell phone gave me was that I was able to reach out to people. I just wanted to, to talk to people and stuff. And, um, Dara and I started talking. She, uh, she posted a picture on Snapchat actually of a meal that she had cooked. Um, and it was a steak with like some asparagus and like a strawberry salad. And so I'm like, what? Like, not only are you hot and intelligent, but you can cook. Like, what's up? How you doing? <laughs> and um, and she responded to me, and we talked and everything. And and um, and uh, to use her words, so I'm in this drug treatment center, and uh, my candor with her. So I uh, allowed us to establish a bedrock to build upon, even though neither one of us were looking for it at the time. Hmm. Um, something you were just. This is what I, this is what's up. There's yeah, there was something about her or where I was at in my life or a combination of all of them that I was just like, I'm tired of it. I'm tired, and, and I I let her know everything, it, it, everything that I had been doing, the things that I was ashamed of that I did, the the life that I lived, and not not in a way that was like bragging or boastful, like oh I'm a bad boy, but it's just like this is, um, and she didn't run away from it, which I assume that that she would like she's not from that side of the tracks like she's she's never had a speeding ticket yeah <laughs> and so um like it was like a, a saint interacting with a demon mm. and it, it, it um and she was like she wasn't scared of it she didn't run from it she didn't anything and then so when i got released from from that uh treatment center um i went and hung out with her uh i <laughs> I broke the rules of my probation to go to a different county to hang out with her. I was supposed to be in Missoula. I went and hung out with her. Um, but you had a stretchy bracelet so you could go wherever you want. <laughs> I didn't have that on anymore. <laughs> they didn't give it back yet. But no. no um, and so like I, I showed up and uh, and one thing that she told me later that she said really stood out uh, in her mind about me is so her house wasn't handicap accessible. It was February in Montana. There's snow all over the ground. Um, I crawled through the snow to go into her house. Um, like I crawled through the snow. I knocked on the door. I sat on the porch, like, um, soaking wet, cold. Like she let me come in and everything. And, um, she said that there was something about like my willingness to, to, like, um, side note, I had frostbite on my hand or I got frostbite on my hand around this time. Um, because of like, I didn't have a wheelchair for a while. People stole it. And like, I would still just crawl through the snow and did like, uh, whatever I needed to do. Um, and I will bring up like how my addiction empowered me when, uh, when we close. Cause that's where, uh, I think it's most useful, but like I did whatever I needed to do to, to serve my addiction or whatever I thought needed to be done to, to serve that lifestyle. Um, and I hung out with her and I hung out with her a couple of times and, uh, um, something very important about Dara is uh, um, she's sapiosexual, which means she's attracted to intelligence, um, which is a 
uh, it's weird because I don't feel that I'm that intelligent, but it's also beneficial because I feel like I'm probably more intelligent than I am attractive. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, which people can't see, but you're you're a handsome dude. <laughs> Thank you, BJ. You are a handsome dude from There's, the neck up, maybe. from everywhere, man. You're <laughs> you're, and people can tell just from your personality. I mean, if anybody even talks to you for five minutes, like handsome. And great personality. So let's – Thank you. Know, you. I, so, well, I just want to clarify that. No, I appreciate I, it. I got to call that out. I got to call out that BS when I see it. So Thank anyway, you. but keep going. Um, so she saw she so she saw in you the intelligence and the personality and the – Well, so apparently um, – I didn't know this. We grew up together. And uh, she had a crush on me when we were younger. And and while we were in high school and stuff, kind of crushed on me. And she lived in a, in a very strict – household and one thing that she always uh admired about me is that um she's like you were never afraid to do anything that you just like you would say exactly what you thought you would do exactly what you wanted to and then whatever happened after that you would deal with it and she's like i was always scared to do that hmm. and like um and then like she's like uh and i had a crush on you and we're i was like like, cause I had a crush on her. Like I said, beautiful, beautiful yeah. girl. And I like, uh, when my hormones were raging, like she was definitely in the crosshairs, but I always thought that she was something out of my reach, um, because she was just too, too, you know what I'm just yeah. too much, like too, yeah. too pretty, too smart too like, yeah. like, and I'm not that. So I didn't, and, um, and she is all that. Yeah. Dara is a yeah. pretty amazing person. She actually dated my best friend in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, and so, yeah, she'd, she'd said all this stuff and, um, she said, that she wouldn't have dated me in high school even if I tried though because I was uh, I was promiscuous, um, and she didn't think that I could be a, a one woman man at the time. But mm. I don't know. I think she could have made me. But uh, <laughs> um, no. And so uh, yeah, because of her her want or, or or like for intelligence, I didn't feel like I was intelligent when I was high, and so um, I controlled my use or or tried to. And and I say tried to because if anybody ever tells you like that's a an addict or something like that, oh I'm in I'm I'm contr- no you're not. Nobody is controlling their use. Mm-hmm. Even even me who's like saying that like I don't have a problem with alcohol. The only time I have a problem with alcohol is when I start drinking it. Mm-hmm. When I start drinking, I won't stop until I'm blacked out. Mm-hmm. Like I don't know how to kind of drink. Yeah. Um, and so I'm that way with most substances. Like I want to be as high as I can. I want to be as drunk as I can. Like, like I, I don't want to, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it. I'm that way with most things. I don't yeah. want to halfway do anything. Yeah. Um, but I liked hanging out with her and I liked having these conversations with her about things like that were outside of the realm. Like every, you get locked up, you interact with women and men that do drugs and stuff like that. Um, I want to clarify, I wasn't locked up in a co-ed place, but I was just taught like, all of these people have the same conversations. They all think that they're El Chapo, um, that they're moving bricks, that they're doing all this incredible stuff. But we're in the middle of nowhere, Montana, man. Like you're not, a, you're not a real gangbanger. You're not like, and so everyone's just doing, having these same conversations. Um, and I wasn't having those with her. We were having like real conversations about, um, about our past and about combat and her asking me things. And, uh, um, it was cool. I really enjoyed it. And so I controlled my use. If I was going to see her, I wouldn't use um, until after I left. Um, and it made me cut down my use quite a bit during that time. Um, but it didn't keep me out of jail. So the very uh, last time that I went to jail uh, was March 7th. Um, 
actually, sorry, that's when I got released, was February 21st. And I want to back up before that. I want to tell a couple of things that, that Dara did that blew my mind and, and to really paint a picture of, of um, I guess, her level of divinity. Um, so was willing to, to interact with me. And, and at the time, I'm, I am, uh, to use a $2 word, I'm pestiferous. Like everywhere that I go, I just cause chaos and problems and then, and then head out. But she wasn't scared of that or concerned of that and wanted to be around me. Um, February 14th, Valentine's Day, we go to uh, Missoula to go see my probation officer. Uh, I got arrested. Um, While you're with her? Yeah. Yeah, I got arrested. And uh, she leaves and she goes back. And so from where I lived to where my probation officer was or where I was supposed to be in Missoula, but where I was to where my probation officer was was an hour. Um, and so Dara drove me up there an hour to take me to my probation officer for me to immediately be arrested as soon as I got in the building and for Dara to leave. And she drove right back to Ronan. And then so I get taken to the jail and I get to immediately see the judge that day. Um, I have never had a judge give me a reasonable bond in my entire life. Um, every time that I've been arrested, and, and then you'll hear that my very last bond was even more absurd, but it's always been um, $50,000 or higher for me to bail out of jail. And so for a bond, you need 10% of that. So we're talking five grand or something. And even in my drugged up stupor, it didn't make any business sense to me to spend five grand to go outside sooner. And except this time, my bond was five grand, so it was $500 to get out. And so I, I, got, I got locked up with that on me. <laughs> and so I'm like, okay, cool. Like I want back out, but you have to have somebody willing to sign a bond warrant, somebody that will be uh, responsible for to the other $4,500 if you don't come back to court. Um, I had called my, uh, my little sister. Every time I got locked up, I called my little sister and I told her, Hey, I'm in jail. And she's like, okay. And I did that. So they knew where I was. Like I didn't talk to him any other time. I would just tell her I'm in jail. So that way, um, we immediately shifted into Tommy's in jail system. Like, so, so Johnny would send me, um, my own money, but Johnny would send me money to keep on my books and, and everything like that. And so Johnny, uh, I have an incredible, uh, little, si I have incredible siblings, but Johnny is, uh, should be the oldest sibling. Like I'm, I'm the one that showed people what not to do. And Johnny showed people what to do. So mm -hmm. we're yin and yang kind of super grateful for, um, but, uh, so I had a backpack with, uh, with Dara that uh, I was like, Hey, you can take this to my sister. And, um, and so, uh, I told my sister that I can be bonded out, but I, she's like, I'm not going to sign that warrant. You know that. And I was like, I know I'm not going to, and I wouldn't ask my mom. I was causing problems with her marriage at the time because he didn't like the, the torment I was putting my mom through completely justifiable. Sure. Um, and so I had, I'd burned all these bridges. Nobody was going to sign a bond warrant for me. Um, and so I was just like, whatever, I'll sit in here until it's done. Um, I call my sister and she says, uh, hey, Dara was just here. Um, and she said she'll sign that bond warrant. And I, I didn't bring it up to Dara. My sister did. Like, oh, yeah, he can bond. And I, she's like, yeah, I'll do it. And so I call Dara and she's already on her way back to Missoula. Um, so this, we're talking, she's going to, will have driven four hours this day to take me to, to get locked up, to drive home. And she'll tell you that she drove home uh, crying off and on on the way home because she was sad that I was back in jail. And then she got the opportunity to rescue me. And so she drove back and then drove back. And when like, she came down, 
she signed this this bond warrant and uh kind of funny for anybody that's a marine that's listening to this uh the bond company was devil dog bonds so a marine corps company let me out of the uh jail um and this guy could tell that dara didn't fully understand the gravity of what was occurring and he looked at her and he said as she's signing the paper he said you understand that if he doesn't go to court you're liable for five grand and at the time dara's a single mother and so um she looks at me and she says you'll go and it wasn't a threat it wasn't it was a hundred percent belief that i wouldn't screw her over that i wouldn't that a person that tried to help me that i wouldn't do wrong with um and i've asked her since i'm like why did you believe that she's like i just did wow and um and I didn't, I didn't, I, nothing bad came of that. She stuck her neck out for me and everything worked out. Um, I ended up going back to jail uh, a week later, February 21st, when I actually got arrested for uh, my probation revocation. Um, and so, like I said, my PO had been building a case to try to, uh, to revoke my probation. So I would have to go sit the rest of my time in a cell. Um, so I got... Uh, I went over to Dara's house and I spent the night with, with Dara, um, the night before, uh, and this is how I can tell it in PG. Um, I knew that I was going to go back to jail. And so I went over there with devilish purposes. Okay. Um, as soon as I got into the prox, like, uh, the proximity of her and like, uh, felt the, the warmth of her body, I fell asleep. Hmm. I slept for 18 hours. Wow. And then I woke up and went to jail. That's not what I went there to do, but something about her presence calmed me and I went to sleep. Hmm. Um, and then I went to jail the next day. I got up and got driven down there and, and I went to jail. And um, I still kind of, I talked to her uh, while I was in there. So I was, uh, yeah, I went to jail February 21st and I talked to her. Um, and then they moved me from Missoula back to Lake County. And when I moved back to Lake County, I realized exactly what was happening, that I was going to go back in front of the judge that presided over my case to start with, and that they're, um, that they're either going to send me to Montana State Prison for the end of my time, or they're not. And I assumed that I'm going to Montana State Prison. So I went back to, to Lake County. I went back to the same exact isolation cell that I got locked up in to start with. Um, the only difference now is that I had made... Uh, I had notoriety to the point to where, um, and this isn't being boastful. This is just facts. Um, my bond was $500,000. There was a person that was in Lake County that was being investigated for homicide that had a, a lesser bond than I did. Hmm. And I use this to, to showcase what Lake County thought of me. Yeah. Um, they, uh, yeah. And, so when I went in front of uh, Kim Christopher, which is the judge that saw me, um, she truly believed that, uh, and she said this, that she's like, I might not have written a warrant that has your name at the top for your house, but that's because you haven't had a house since I raided the last one. Hmm. And she's like, but your name is all over in all of these. She's like, you're involved in, in drugs and human trafficking. And she blamed me for everything. Like I was the the root cause of all this stuff. And I just sit there in court and try to pretend like, or I guess not pretend, but just try to sit there and, because you can't yell at a judge. You know yeah. what I'm saying? And this is the same judge that before when I was in court in front of her one time, she was like, I would, I should, um, 
I should expect more out of a soldier. And like, she's just berating me. And I literally, I interjected. And I was like, if you're going to berate me, call me the right thing. And she's like, what? I was like, I'm a Marine. <laughs> and like the whole room was like, oh, wow. Yeah. And so when I went to court the next time after that, my attorney was like, I'm going to need you to do me a favor. And I was like, what? And he's like, shut up. <laughs> just don't talk. Just don't say a thing. And I was like, I don't like being yelled at. He's like, shut up. <laughs> I was like, mm-hmm. okay. Um, and so, uh, the very last time that I go in and to court to see her, um, before I go, uh, my attorney's like, I think I have, and I, I had a paid attorney. I didn't have a, um, public defender. And I think if I wouldn't have had this attorney that my, my whole story would have played out completely different. Um, Matt, if you listen to this, like, thank you so much, man. Um, but he's like, I think I have a plan. He's like, I am going to tell them that you do drugs because of PTSD. And we're going to send you to a co-occurring treatment center um, where they treat PTSD and drug addiction at the same time. And I was like, that's cool. That's not why I do drugs. And he's like, that's cool. Don't say that. Um, and so uh, he's like, but here's the, the, uh, the catch. You either will be housed in jail until a bed opens unless you can find somebody that will let you stay with them and essentially be an officer of the court and report to the court that you're doing good or bad or whatever. And I was like, yeah, that's, that's, that's not a thing. I don't, my mom won't, my siblings won't, none of, nobody in my family will. Like I have burned every single bridge. They're still mm-hmm. smoldering. Like, no. And he goes, okay. And so, um, I had been, I'm completely okay with it. I had, I had, uh, settled with the fact that like you're seeing your time through man like um and i didn't and uh dara and i had been talking the whole time i was in this this jail um i'd call her and and uh and talk to her and everything and uh i had told her while i was locked up this uh that hey i'm probably gonna go have to sit a year or more i don't know what's gonna go on like um you're absolutely incredible please don't wait for me like you are far too pretty. You are far too smart. Like to, to wait for, for me. No, 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 no. Like, um, uh, which I really think that I was trying to, I believed I was trying to, to set her free and help her. But, um, I think it was more so for me. It makes it a lot easier to be incarcerated or be in war or something like that. If you don't have something outside of that, I was locked up with too many dudes that were worried about what their girl was doing on the outside or this or that. Because you have to understand, when you're in a cell or when you're in combat, everybody outside learned to live without you. Hmm. They're going to. And you have to understand that. That if, if your mom or your wife or something calls you and they and they're, have struggles or problems, there's nothing you can do to fix it from in the cell. And so uh, selfishly, I think I try to remove myself from the situation. And she told me no. She's like, I, no. I am. Nope. I'm going to wait for you. And I was like, that is wild. All right. Like, um, and then, so when we were talking one day, I was telling her, she's like, what's going on with your stuff? And I was like, oh yeah, they got, they have a plan that I could maybe, um, get out and, uh, go to this treatment center, but I don't have anywhere to stay. So they can't, I, like, I'm going to stay locked up until then. Like, and just that nonchalant yeah. glazed over it. She's like, well, you can stay here. Cause you didn't even think to, I wasn't going to ask her. You're not going to burden her. Cause if you screw up, well, prior to that, her and I's relationship, if you will, that's an air quotes, folks, uh-huh. um, was almost secret. Uh, like um, Nissa and Milo like, hadn't really seen me. They'd seen me a little bit and stuff, but like I wasn't, I didn't feel that I was a good person. And so I didn't want her um, 
what people thought of her, her esteem, if you will, to, to be clouded. She like, she was helping, uh, run a nonprofit in the community. Like she was doing good work and everything. And so, like I said, angel demon is how like, like things were looked at. And, um, and so, yeah, like I didn't want the community's view of her to be altered or anything. And beyond that, she then had to also tell her ex-husband and, and the kids, father that I would be moving in because he's still involved in their life and lives locally and everything. Great dude. We, we have a, a, an incredible triangle uh, parenting thing. But you have, at this time, you have a reputation in the county. At this time, I have a reputation that I'm a bad person. You're, yeah. And she's like, no, I'll, I'll let you. And I'm like, what? And to, to even to illustrate this further, I call my attorney and tell him that like, yeah, she'll let me, st- this lady will let me stay with her. And he goes, okay, let me talk to the prosecutor. And so both my attorney and the prosecutor then called Dara at different times. And said, do and you know what? The, luckily, Dara had been in uh, in a leadership uh, program with the <gasps> prosecutor in Lake County, similar to YPO that you guys have out here. Mm-hmm. Uh, not not even close to the, the uh, quality, but similar program. Um, and uh, the prosecutor had been in it with Dara and knew Dara, had seen her do, give a presentation. And so he calls her and he's like, do you understand who you're letting into your home? Like that's how we started the conversation, and Dara goes, "Yeah, I I grew up with him," and um and he goes, "Okay," and Dara's like, "I don't think he'll do, he won't he won't do anything wrong to me. We're good," and they're like, "Okay, okay," and so she shows up to court the day that I'm in front of the judge the last time. Um, I pleaded uh, guilty to I don't know ten or fifteen like probation infractions, um, and uh. The judge told me um, that uh, if I was ever in front of her again, that she wouldn't hear anything that my counsel had to say, that she would put me in the jail until the jail wouldn't hold me anymore. And then she would find, or she would put me in the prison until the prison wouldn't hold me anymore. And then she would find somewhere else to put me. Um, and so uh, I knew that I couldn't do drugs anymore. Um, and I'd also made a promise to Dara on the phone before that when I was in the cell. Um, so like I said, I called her every day and, uh, and I made a promise to her talking to her. I said, I, I don't know when I'm going to come out of here. If I'm going to come out, I don't know what's going on, but when I come out of here, if we are still a thing, if we work out, I will never put drugs or my old lifestyle above you. Um, and she said, okay. Uh, and I asked her a, a while later, I was like, did you believe me when I said that? And she's like, yeah. She's like, did you believe you? And I was like, I had no idea if I could do what I told you I did, but I said it. Um, and I upheld it uh, for the most part. There was a couple times uh, right when I first got out where my loyalty um, to people or perceived loyalty to people or, or loyalty that I felt that they deserved um, put me in situations that, that weren't weren't good because I there were the old street connections like, Hey bro, I need your help for this or that. And like, and I felt like I still needed to be that guy. In fact, I think, um, when you first met me again, when I did the YPO thing, like, um, my criminal background was still very much part of my identity and very much like it was most of what I spoke about Mm. because that is what I'd mostly lived. Um, and so like, uh, I remember one time I went to go help somebody with something and, uh, it was Friday night, uh, um, the kids had went to their dad's house and, um, Dara shot me a text at like two in the morning 
and was like, Hey, I, uh, I hope everything's good. Like, um, if you need a ride or something, let me know. And just so you know, I got chicken enchiladas here cooked whenever you're ready. That's all it said. Like, and when I had left earlier in that day, I said, like, I'll be back in just a little bit. And I'd left like eight, 10 hours before, you know what I'm saying? Um, and I looked around the, the drug house I was in and I see tweakers moving like wacky inflatable arm guys around just, and I see people doing heroin and stuff. And I'm just like, why am I here? What is it like? I, I'm and I and I look and I'm like, oh, I'm here because this guy wants me to be here because he needed me because I knew these people that to, to get his stuff. Like, and so um, I called Dara and I was like, will you come get me? And she did. And um, I've never been back. Like anytime somebody from the my past or anything has reached out to me or like I had people offer me um, like that once again, small town area, Dara and I are in Walmart. And I had a guy walk up to me and was like, Hey man, I, I think I owe you some stuff. Come out to the car. I got some dope meaning meth uh, out in the car, bro. Like, let's go, let's go get high. And I'm like, nah, man, I'm good. And like, and I have Dara next to me who clearly doesn't look like a drug addict. Um, and he's like, Oh, Hey, Hey, no, I got needles too, bro. I know you're a banger. Like he's just letting everything air out right here in front. And I, I finally had to be like, I don't care what you owe me or anything, bro. Like I'm done. Like, and like I would run into people at, at gas stations and everything. They would just offer me free drugs because they owed me a debt or um, something. Like, and and if there's a uh, a drug addict or a former drug addict listening to this, like, uh, you know what I'm talking about. Like, you couldn't get free drugs at all while you're active addiction. But if you're trying to get out of your addiction, they're everywhere. It's like a parade mm. of drugs. It's weird. Mm. Um, but with the promise I made to to. Dara and then the opportunity like I said before um when I was a drug addict like uh earlier in uh in 2015 when uh when that girl and her two daughters left um, I had another opportunity that I didn't I didn't want to mess this one up man um Nissa and Milo were something like seven and twelve or, or eight and twelve or, or seven and eleven or something like that um they're now eleven and uh sixteen mm-hmm. um and like uh i didn't know how they were gonna take me i like i said i had stepdads man like i i hated stepdads and i wasn't sure like you know how is this how is this gonna work like is uh am am i some sort of novelty like am i like a fix it up project to dara where she's like i can repair him i I didn't know what any of the like i had so much confusion and and um i'm trying to overcome an addiction and i had no idea what to do and then uh um, to compound it my ex-girlfriend just got out of uh uh, incarceration and she's hitting me back up pulling on on old heartstrings of like hey I think we need to come to closure and all this stuff and um and I told Dara about it was entirely open with Dara and she's like I think she's like do whatever you got to do like never I wasn't her or me or anything like um and and clearly I chose Dara but Dara continuously bang 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 laid out all of these things like like stuck her neck out again and again and again to try to help me um and when i when i asked her like so when i relapsed after her and i first started talking um uh i told her hey man like i do drugs like again i'm sorry like i'm i'm bad you're not bye and she's like uh, i don't like that you do drugs but that's not you and i love you wow um, Wow. And and when I asked her, I was like, what did you see? Like, And she's like, I saw you. Hmm. Like, I saw you in there. She's like, under the pain and the heartache and everything else you were hiding from and running from, like, I saw you. 
Um, and I couldn't even see me anymore. Yeah. If if Dara wouldn't have willingly done what she did at that time, I would have let my empire of dirt, my addiction, whatever, completely bury me. And I was okay with that. Um, but this woman came along that made me want to be better. And it was, uh, it was incredible. Like I wanted to be better because, um, she deserved whatever the best of me could be. Um, Nissa and Milo deserved whatever the best of me could be. And then eventually that expanded. Like it started with them. That was, they talk about higher power and stuff in AA and I, and I couldn't grasp that. I didn't grow up being, um, raised in any sort of religion or attending church and so i didn't i couldn't grasp that like oh you want me to give my will and my power power over to a a god as i understand him like he's going to relieve me from an addiction that i created like there was just weird like accountability thing with me and it wasn't until them that i understood it like no you're my higher power when i falter you're the reason why like that i won't um, and as time has gone on, that is like, people are like, oh man, I'm so proud of you. Like, uh, maintaining sobriety is so hard. Like maybe for some people, it definitely can be. I don't want to downplay that. Um, I'm incredibly lucky because I'm, I'm close to five years in now and I would willingly have to dismantle what I built brick by brick. I built by that. I mean like life, like love, like all this stuff, brick by brick to put a needle back in my arm. Mm. I would have to do it. Um, and so it, it, it's a no brainer question for me like to, to maintain sobriety. Um, and, and, but I had to try to fill, figure out how to fill this void that had occurred inside of me when I, um, when I quit doing drugs and the void was there prior to, I just wouldn't notice that it existed. Um, and so, uh, I started endurance racing. Um, I started endurance racing and, uh, um, I ran 11 half marathons and two full marathons, um, like the first two years. And then when COVID hit, um, I ran 2,431 miles, uh, that year. And, uh, there's actually, um, some cool literature and stuff about, um, trauma and addiction and endurance athletes and overcoming trauma. It's, it's pretty neat. Um, if you guys are interested in that, look into that. There's, there's some cool stuff about how, uh, endurance racing helps remap the brain's neural pathways and kind of unclog some things. Um, but I had shifted to being a one-dimensional human being again. I went from one addiction to one addiction. Mm. The only thing I focused on was going out and putting my miles in on my on my wheelchair. And it was so cathartic. It helped clear a bunch of stuff up. Like I felt like a better person. But I wasn't focusing on anything else. I wasn't being um, a good boyfriend or a good anything else. I was just kind of a, a dude present. I made the joke to Dara that... Um, I was her sixth kid because uh, Dara has five kids that, uh, that so graciously invited me into their lives as well. Um, and so I just made the joke that I'm, I'm the sixth kid. Um, and uh, um, I started making some some changes around that. And around this same time is when um, Jason noticed me uh, again, which uh, uh, for the listeners, uh, Jason is a guy that has um, a company called Mission Six Zero. They do leadership style training stuff um, for, for companies and organizations. And I worked for him when I first got out. And then when I became addicted, um, I was making some choices that he couldn't fully comprehend. And so we needed to have some space is what I believe he told me. Um, but then when I did, uh, and that's actually where I met you the first time was we did, um, the, the leadership stuff with YPO. 
um, and you guys carried yeah. me, and yeah, it was yeah. it was a it was a fun time. Um, but he saw me doing burpees with um, some boxers. Like uh, I had told that they had this workout thing going on, and I went in there to work out, and uh, the boxing coach knew who I was um, from my past. And when I came in, he pulled me aside, and he's like, "I've taken far too long to build a good program. If I think that you are going to be detriment to it, I will send you away." And I was like, okay, I could, and I, yeah. and I love the fact that he was willing to fight tooth and nail for what he had, had put together. Yeah. Um, he has since invited me to be a boxing coach. I'm one of the coaches on there and everything, but I was doing burpees with, uh, with the, the boxers and, um, and uh, I was smiling and having a good time. And, um, there's something about f- like hard physical activity that ignites my soul. I don't, I don't know exactly what it is. Um, and Jason messaged me and it's like the Tommy I knew's back. Hmm. And I was like, Kind of, yeah. Um, but uh, a much better Tommy um, because my addiction, I brought, I alluded to this earlier, my addiction empowered me in a, in a way that I never thought that it would. Um, there's People have seen the memes on the internet and stuff where it, uh, it's the saying, nobody out hustles a junkie. Hmm. That there's never a junkie that wakes up in the morning and says, like, well, I guess I'm not going to get high today. I don't have any money. That's never a thing. Okay. Um, and the same thing, like, uh, like I said, I had my wheelchair stolen. Like I crawled through nipple deep snow to go get drugs. Like I got frostbite on my left hand. And so what my addiction showed me is that I am more powerful than any obstacle placed in front of me. Wow. If I am willing to endure it. Wow. If I know what I'm going to get. And this is a teachable moment. You don't have to be a drug addict to have this. Everybody has this inside of them. It's a capability that's, that's inside of you. You just have to find it. Um, uh, which I'm gonna call it. I uh, when I was in the Marine Corps, the first time that I saw it, like um, I to keep it as close as possible. I the Marine Corps uncovered my effort switch, um, and uh, uh, where like you're like, oh, all of this sucks. Oh, whatever, it has to happen. Effort, like go. Like and so like I found that, and then um, my drug addiction made me be in control of it. To where, like, uh, to this day, it doesn't matter if it's um, if it's raining. Like, I enjoy being on bike rides when I when I'm riding my bike and it starts raining, and um, like in riding until the rain breaks. Like, I I, I broke the storm. The yeah, like, um, and just like it's it's a it's an arrogant thing probably, but um, I won't let anything beat me. Nothing. My addiction taught me, and going to war taught me that nothing is stronger um than me and and uh and i mean on this plane obviously sure sure um but but the only the only things that can break me are things that i give power to do so and and so i used that and i started doing endurance racing and um and then uh like i said one dimensional i started doing some other things and looked into some entrepreneurship and and everything and then when jason brought me back on i i was the first speech i gave was to you guys again was to ypl and that's how you and i like i don't remember meeting you in vivant but coming here to to uwm um and uh and and actually you know being gifted the suited for good suit um i was absolutely incredible i had been i drugged myself through the mud and and everything and then not only jason wanting to to have me come and speak but then you guys at YPO seeing that there was value in, in me coming and speaking. And then furthermore, you as a, as a name and fashion thinking that, that 
this of an individual uh, deserve to be adorned in your and in in a suited for good suit um just the whole thing was was incredible to me i I, i'm being given a custom suit why well because you're a dude that seems like he needs a suit like what why (laughs) well can i say my side of that yeah i saw the video of you doing uh you were on a football field and you're pushing over a tire that was like your same height yeah the tractor tire and i was just I was blown away, and I uh, I connected with Jason because of his uh, Warrior Rising, which is an incredible organization, and Jason's an incredible human being. And so Jason and I had worked with a few veterans to outfit them in suits, mm-hmm. and uh, he posted that picture of you or that video of you, mm-hmm. and I was like, "Who is this guy? <laughs> this guy's amazing!" And so that's when we, yeah, that's when we had you come down and. Uh, uh, suited you up and suited for good and then i uh i was part of ypo Mm -hmm. and i i was in charge of uh you know uh it was a membership or a uh a event chair so um i wanted to create an event where you could speak because especially after meeting you it's like this guy is incredible and i remember when you spoke and there wasn't like a dry eye in the place and you were so nervous and you were you were like, I remember after you're like, oh, I don't know. I don't know if it was good. And I was like, dude, are you kidding me? <laughs> it was the first time I'd ever told my story. It was incredible. It was it was incredible. And everybody that was there was blown away at, well, and, you know, listeners that are listening right now can can understand why. It's like, yeah, that makes sense. Everything, it makes sense. I mean, your your impact is tremendous. And so, uh, anyway, that's my side of the story. It was, yeah, adorning you in a suitor for good suit is like, of course we would. Of course we would. I mean, through all you've been through, through the the lows and the highs, and it's celebrating the human spirit. It's celebrating, you know, it's celebrating overcoming incredibly difficult things. So, anyway, so that's that brings us to... Your first speaking engagement. Yeah. So tell us where, what has that led to for you now? And where, where, are you, where are you today? Um, since then, uh, my wife and I started a, uh, a fundraising company called For Freedom Fundraising. Um, uh, I have, with my involvement at Warrior Rising, I had, uh, I felt the need to try to use my gifts of being comfortable in front of crowds and speaking and stuff like that to try to help generate money for people. So I uh, went to school to be an auctioneer um, and hence for freedom. Uh, we raise money for freedom. So people like we help adaptive athlete causes, we help veteran causes, whatever, to try to help people have a more full life. Um, and so we have that. Um, I'm in the process of designing a uh, a line of wheelchair bags that attach to the front of a wheelchair. So um, there's some that are on the market, but they're not the they're not very good. When when something is designed for a niche market, but it's not designed by the market, um, it doesn't work as well. They're they're designed. A, a, by able-bodied people usually the functionality isn't good and they're almost an afterthought with it comes with a chair so we're, we're trying to do that um our company's name is is gorilla uh, we don't have any products on the market yet but we will be soon if you want to watch that and our mission at gorilla is to inspire wheelchair users to explore their reality 
hmm. um, there being the operative word uh, to get in here. We were we were talking to, even just to get into the podcast studio. I had to come around the back of UWM here yeah. uh, because the other side had stairs. Not a big deal, but that's just my reality. And so um, I want more wheelchair users to not feel like they're imprisoned in concrete. I want them to go and live and and thrive, not just exist in the face and. and, and but but thrive in the face of their adversity because um you can be you can have a full life even though you have to sit down all the time um and so yeah uh i, I turned into an entrepreneur and auctioneer and still doing some athletic stuff still being a boxing coach so tell me what's the name of your what, like if somebody wants to book you as an auctioneer where, how, how do they find you? Um, they can go find me through uh, forfreedomfundraising.com um, or if they reach out to me uh, um, through any social media stuff on, on uh, Facebook, I'm Tommy Parker. Um, on uh, Instagram, I'm at uh, King Kong 0311. Um, and then uh, on Facebook, my wife and I have like a joint page called Adventures with King Kong, which kind of documents some of our, our adventures that, that we go on. And you guys probably heard me say King Kong twice. Uh, the way that I crawl without a wheelchair, I look like a gorilla, um, like with my hands crawling across the ground. And so I picked up that nickname uh, was a drug addict because of my mm. fearlessness and the way that I would crawl around. Wow. Um, and so, yeah, they can reach out to me through any, any of those. And uh, I'd love to hear from them. Well, all I can say is I, I haven't experienced your auctioneering, but I, I mean, I, I just know you'd kill it because you're so much fun. And I, I remember even your first speaking engagement, the way you were able to uh, engage the audience, also speak about some really difficult things, and also somehow bring some comedy and some humor into it to make people feel comfortable. And yet it's like, I'm crying because of the emotional depth to which you've just shared. And then I'm crying cause you're so damn funny. And it's like this, it's, it's incredible. And I, I think it's so cool how you've, uh, yeah, how you've to, to look at your strengths and to be able to say, you know what, actually I could kill it at this and I could kill it at this and I could do this. And it's like, it's just it's just a testament to who you are that like hey this is this is this is my reality and like it's like you just said like that the addiction taught you that there's nothing that can be put in your way that you can't overcome and i you live that like you don't say that you actually just live that and i also want to just point out uh that your partner in crime now dara is just an incredible human being and all the things you said about her she's just such a capable and brilliant woman. And I just, I, it was so, it was fun for me to learn all this today. Cause I didn't know a lot of this. I mean, I've heard a, a lot of it, but not a lot yeah, of not it. Yeah. Not in, not uh, in it's, it's wholeness, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. No. And Dara is a great woman and I have to, um, I am a better person because of her in my life and I'm grateful for that. And, um, and you said that, that I lived it, that showing that I can overcome any, uh, obstacle. Um, I think it is very, very important for the learners to, or not the learners, the listeners at home to understand as well, um, that they can as well, that anybody can. I'm not different. I'm not an anomaly. I'm not something special. Um, I'm not tougher than you. I'm not smarter than you. I'm none of those things. Um, I just understand that, that the only thing that can break me is me. Um, and, and as soon as everybody else understands that, 
that the only thing that can break you is you because you have to give the power to anything else. Like you can be told like it, everybody's probably had something uh, yelled at them absurd by a homeless person. Like, and they're like, Oh, whatever. They, but the same words said by like your father or brother or something are, Ow, that hurts because you gave those words power. Hmm. So anything that, that you let break you, you gave the power to do so. Wow. Um, and so understanding that, keep the power in your court. Like, but also understanding you can't control everything. I love the Stoics for this. The only things that we can control in our lives are our reason, choice, and the thought and the acts that follow. I can only control what I may decide to do and what actions I do because of that. I can't make you do anything. I can't make anything else happen. But if I'm being the best Tommy I can, if you're being the best BJ you can or whoever you are, then life's going to be okay. Wow. And all storms break, man. Eventually, it'll stop raining. Wow. So usually, at this point in the podcast, I ask for like a couple takeaways, but you just gave us some some huge takeaways. Um, is there anything else you'd like to? I mean, th- just the last those two, you just are, I have are huge. What What else would you like people to hear from you? Another takeaway. You're not allowed to give up. Um. Beethoven uh, was suicidal when he was younger, and he wrote a letter to his brother, um, talking about like, "Hey, I don't, I don't think I can make it. Uh, I think I'm gonna give up." Blah blah blah. Um, and his brother wrote back, and he's like, "No, man, come on, push through." And um, if Beethoven would have taken his life, he wouldn't have blessed us with his beautiful works of music. Um, you giving up is stealing the joy of you from the universe. You're not allowed to give up. You have done far too much and come far too far to give up. You don't get to. Somebody else needs you. So put your foot in front of the other one and keep going. Man. (laughs) Tommy, I can't tell you how grateful I am for your friendship, uh, for you taking the time to share your life and your learnings with with and and whoever listens to this there's so many things to take to learn from you so man i can't tell you thank you not but thank you thank you for having me and thank you for not only giving me one but a second suited for good suit after i got too thin for the first one <laughs> oh man i yeah it's the least least we could do for my brother so thank you again thank you